Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Yo. Josh, hey man, it's Luke. Hey, what's up, dude? Hey, so this week, I don't have a whole lot of time. We've got like the longest episode of 30 Pop ever, and it's because we're looking back 30 years at the debut of the Mickey Mouse Club. Sweet. But because we have so little time, there's a couple things that we're going to have to overlook, and it kind of kills me, in the music world. And I wanted to share those with you. All right. First of all, 30 years ago this week was the release of Richard Mark's album, Repeat Offender. Excellent. Which is a terrible name for an album. But there's another major album release this week, 30 years ago. What's that? The solo studio debut from Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever. Very cool. This is Free Fallen. This is I Won't Back Down. I mean, huge, huge record. Yeah, anthems. Anthems, yeah. And we're just basically going to skip it because that's how much I loved the Mickey Mouse Club. (laughs) Mickey was great. Yep. Good looking women, good music. (sighs) I don't know about women. They were well when you're 12 or however old we were, 13. Right. They were good-looking women. Goodness gracious! I'm very uncomfortable now. <laughs> well, I'm going to start the episode now. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is Thirty Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host. Luke Bronner. This is season one, episode 11. Three Mouseketeers and an acting coach. Today we're looking back at the week that ended April 29th, 1989. Hello friends and welcome to episode 11 of 30 Pop. As I mentioned last week, we've got a super full episode this week and it's one I've been looking forward to since before the show even launched. Looking back 30 years at the debut of perhaps my favorite childhood TV show, the Disney Channel's all-new Mickey Mouse Club, on April 24th, 1989. I had an absolute blast putting this episode together and can't wait to dive in. But as always, a few other details about this week in 89. Once again, the number one album and single on the Billboard charts this week was Madonna's controversial hit, Like a Prayer. Speaking of, in case you haven't noticed it the last couple weeks in the show notes... There's a link to a 30 Pop 1989 mixtape playlist on Apple Music and Spotify, and I update it every week with the top 40 or so songs from the Billboard charts. Be sure to subscribe to it if you're into that sort of thing. As I mentioned in the show opener, this week also marks the 30th anniversary of Richard Marx's uncomfortably titled Repeat Offender and the late great Tom Petty's spectacular solo debut, Full Moon Fever. Fear not, pettyheads, I'll find a way to cover that record in depth on the show sometime soon. I'd have loved to do it today, but admittedly, I went a little Mickey Mouse Club crazy. The number one movie at the box office for the second straight week was Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, and the only remotely notable release, at least to me, was the Jim Belushi buddy cop comedy K-9, which, as I remember, was funny enough, but would soon be overshadowed by the release of a far superior execution of essentially the exact same plotline. Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks. In sports news, NBA Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played his final professional basketball game on April 23rd. And Pittsburgh Penguins hockey legend Mario Lemieux tied an NHL playoff record by scoring four points in the first period on April 25th. I know nothing about hockey, but that sounds pretty impressive. Sadly, one day later, on April 26th, a 77-years-old comedy icon Lucille Ball passed away. Thankfully, just a few days earlier, on April 18th, we were given another brilliant comedy actor in Alias Showcut, who played Maybe Funke on Arrested Development. I forgot to mention that last week, so happy belated 30th, Alia. I like your freckles. Now, let's get into some all-new Mickey Mouse Club. I was a huge fan of this show from day one, and for a few reasons. Most notably was the major crush I had on a Mouseketeer named Tiffany Hale. She was a dream, but she wasn't the only cast member I admired. There were also a few guys on the show, each of whom were three to four years my elder, who I thought were just about as cool as any kid could be. 
They had cool clothes, cool hair, cool dance moves, they could sing, they were funny, and they knew Tiffany Hale personally. Damon, Chase, and Albert, each of whom, along with fellow Musketeer Didi Magno Hall, eventually formed a pop quintet with Sweet Tiffany called The Party. I can't explain how much I loved these people, so it was such a treat this past week when I got to open my door to the man himself, Damon Pampolina, to hear all about his days as a Musketeer his time in the party, and the upcoming 30th anniversary Mickey Mouse Club cast reunion at Walt Disney World. Damon, welcome to 30 Pop. So excited to have you, man. Awesome, so, man. Thank you for having me. So 1989, the Mickey Mouse Club returns with the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. There's 12 of you, right? Correct. 12 Six kids. boys, six girls. Tell me about the sort of audition process. How did you end up as one of only 12 kids who got to do this amazing Yeah, we got to give full credibility to Mr. Matt Casella. He was the casting director for that show. So he is the gentleman for all those that may not be aware that's responsible for finding our Kerry Russells, Ryan Goslings, Justin Timberlake, and Brittany. The reasoning is he went on a nationwide search. So instead of being in LA and New York, he actually went out and scoured the country to try to find the talent for the show. And that's why you had such diversity and you had kids that represented the South and Chicago and Florida because he went to those cities to try to find the talent. But I think that first round of casting was about 12,000 kids. Goodness gracious. He came to Dallas. I was represented by a local uh, talent agent that was representing kids at the time. And she said, you need to go and audition for. At the time, it was the film that he was auditioning for, for uh, the original cast in the 50s. It was going to be a film called Why? Because We Like You. Okay. So I went up for that initially, and he was like, man, I love you, but you just don't look like any of the original cast members. Mm. He goes, but I have something else coming up I think you'll be good for. You know, Keep your eyes open for it. The writer strike at the time was going on, so it was about six months later. And so he, this is in 88, right? This is in 88. Okay. And then uh, six months later, they were still 88, got the call to go back up to Dallas for the MMC. So you were in Houston at the time? I was in Houston. Okay. Doing local talent, print work, local commercials and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. which is usually the background of a lot of the kids that got cast. Okay. And so went up there and I was a big fan of John Bellucci at the time. So I did a skit from SNL that he did, uh, King B. It was, he had his Blues Brothers band, but he was dressed in a B suit. So I had my little harmonica and I was doing King B from that bit and a few other things. And he was just like, where in the hell are you from? Because all these other kids were doing like, you know, Broadway songs and all this musical stuff. And then I come in with some sunglasses and a hat and was doing uh, the Blues Brothers. So anyway, he just said, man, you know, we'll be in touch. So then the next call was a screen test at MGM Studios. And that gentleman was uh, Matt Gavin. He was a segment producer on the show. And he was the one that screen tested me. And then maybe, you know, flew back home. And a week later, man, got the call that it was booked. And, and so then, you're, you're like 13 at this time. Is that right? Yeah. I want to say maybe 12, 12 and a half okay. for the pilot, which we did. And then by the time the show was airing, I was about 13. Okay. Did the pilot ever air? The pilot never aired. The pilot was a disaster, Okay, uh, to be frank with you. And everybody got fired that was involved in the pilot, except for the cast, or a lot of people got cut. And they brought in a head writer and he revamped everything. And it almost didn't make it. How many times have we heard this story? It's like Seinfeld, right? Yeah, like Seinfeld didn't get, almost get picked up and so it almost didn't get picked up they brought in a a head writer he kind of revamped it and then it got picked up yeah man that is just wild so did you have any idea at that point what you were getting into like how how big a thing this was going to be yeah no not at all because what we were just talking about there was no previous cast other than the originals to base your experience off of right or, or what your future had in store there was no justin's britney's christina's yet no miley cyrus's mandy moore there was none of that right yeah, New Kids on the Block, that was a different format, kind of. And then the Jackson 5, right? Right. You got to think back to 89 for us, and with Disney Channel being new, we had no idea what we were embarking on. We knew it was awesome. We knew we were at MGM Studios. We knew it was going to be a show. So we actually did the opening. Obviously, we were part of the opening of the MGM Studios. Okay. And man, that was an amazing experience because obviously press and the opening and it was nighttime and we're 13 and we just, you know, the show gets picked up and we're in little tuxedos and walking down the red carpet. So that was awesome. That was a great experience to be a part of the studio opening. That's amazing. So I went to Disney one time as a kid and it was 88. So it wasn't, there was no MGM Uh, yet and and there was no Mickey Mouse Club yet. But And in Orlando. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I was a Disney Channel subscriber and I remember the day the show came on and just loving it. Oh, right on, man. And immediately, I told you this earlier, immediately, and the whole time I was a fan of the show, 
which is basically the years that you guys were on. So it was when y'all sort of headed out, I was sort of aging out of the show, I think. But you, Chase, and Albert, I just thought were like the coolest guys in the world. Dance, y'all could sing, y'all were funny. You had, I mean, all of you did, but you especially just had this like unbelievable energy and sort of confidence. And I remember (laughs) from like that very first episode, you know, you guys are doing your roll call or whatever. And Damon, is this great big, you know... And that I just, cast used to make a lot of fun of me with that. Opening. Really? Oh man, I love it. I, I mean, I, and I've remembered it all these years. But it was one of those things that I was this like really shy, kind of quiet kid, and I just wanted to have that confidence. Oh, I right thought on. it was. I, I admired it so much. But thank you, man. So tell me about relationships with the cast. So there's twelve of you. Were y'all like siblings? Were you just like classmates? Were you coworkers? Like, what was that like? Yeah, the best way to describe it is, you know, we were still thirteen year olds going through puberty, and just like in junior high, you have, you know, your cool kids, the nerdy kids, the quiet kids whatever, whatever. And also two, six boys, six girls, obviously attractions started to take place just like a high school. Only difference is it was much smaller, you know? So there was a lot of brother sister relations there, obviously, because we were going through so much together, Mm -hmm. but then it was just only natural that attractions started taking place. So me and Brandy were dating at the time about about, mm, a year into the show. And we became an item. And then it was that whole thing of experiencing that show together and all that. I know? always thought it was Tiffany. I always yeah, thought everybody you and Tiffany were, were paired up. Yeah. Everybody did. And we did a, me and Tiffany did a skit together called Is So, Is Not, or Was Not, Was So, or something. And it was the first bit that we did. And everybody was like, oh my God, y'all's chemistry is amazing. And y'all look so great. You know, But we just didn't jive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, it just always seemed like y'all were paired up. Right. I've been binge watching a bunch of old episodes on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. And it seems like it was always Brandy and Us. Albert. Yeah. And then Chase and Dee and you and me Tiffany. And, me and, and Tiff, yeah. And then, of course, doing the pop group, you know, which we'll talk about when yeah. we segue into that. Everybody really thought we were an item because we did a song together. I rapped on a song that she had. So we had to do this video together and all that. So everybody was like, oh, yeah, they got to be an item, which was not the case. Yeah. You know? That's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. That was wow. one of my questions is like, was there like romantic things happening behind the scenes that people? Oh, were yeah. Outside? Albert and Dee Dee were, I'm going to spill all the dirt, man. Dude, yeah. Albert and Dee Dee. It was Ob- Albert and Rocky for a little bit. And that's okay. gotten, and he was all about Dee Dee. Rocky got a little upset about that. You know, as the cast progressed, you had Tony Luca and Carrie Russell, yeah. which was Barbie and Ken. Right. I mean, that couple was like out of a, you know, toy store, the yeah. two together. They were such a great looking dynamic couple. So it goes on and on. And there was a lot of crushes. And then some people, you know, had the attraction for, but the other, it wasn't mutual. You know right. I mean? Oh yeah. So there was hard. all that going on. It was just it's like a normal, normal adolescence. Yeah. Normal that's adolescence amazing. that everybody thinks, oh, they didn't do that. You know, it's like, dude, we were still 13, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. So, yeah. so let's talk about the pop group. At some point they sort of transitioned the five of you into a group called the party. Yeah. And you guys were, I guess y'all started sort of just being like occasionally appearing on the show. Is that right? Yeah. So Hollywood Records just formed and we are out in LA. Me and Chase, Didi and Tiffany are in LA doing the Ace Awards. We're doing okay. a performance on the Ace Awards and Peter Paterno and Laura Zifferman end up dropping by and they're like, look guys, we're getting ready to put a, a group together. It is Hollywood Records, which is touchstone to Disney. So funded by Disney. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense that we're going to find you guys. At the time, though, they said we're looking at the entire cast. Mm-hmm. But now when we look back, there was so much foreshadowing. I so. just always thought that was sort of the way that y'all aged out of the show. Is like, okay, we're going to send them on to this. Right. And then we start seeing all these new faces pop up and yeah. stuff. So how yeah. many years were you actually on the show? Yeah, so including the pilot, it was a good two and a half. Okay. So, yeah, two and a half of the show. And what's amazing, because it's a five-day-a-week variety show, we completed 150 episodes. That's unbelievable. Which it takes sitcoms five to six years to complete. Sure. Or I was a part of 150 episodes in the first two and a half years, which is insane. Unbelievable. And I don't know if it's been attempted since five-day-a-week variety show, right? Yeah. SNLs one night a week, right? Sitcoms one night a week, other than talk shows, but that's the only show that I think yeah, that has so, attempted that. So what was the schedule like? I mean, I know you guys were also doing schoolwork. Yeah. I mean, y'all had to just be yeah. working all the time. All the time. We kind of became conditioned to it, but now that I look back, it was insane. And we did tutoring on set, nine to 12, broke for lunch, and then from one till six, we were grinding, either in rehearsal practicing choreography or then shooting. How many episodes would you shoot in a single You'd shoot setting? one episode a day. So that Monday was anything, or that Wednesday, you know, let's say anything can happen day. And then we shot that, you know, pre-recorded in front of a live audience. But yeah, the schedule was grueling. It was crazy. So either you were shooting or you were rehearsing, or you were doing something. Yeah. Not much downtime. How long would the actual process of the live audience portion? Yeah, all day. 
all That's day. All so day because thing. it was pre-recorded in front of a live audience, you know, if you flubbed or you messed up a line, they'd cut and mm-hmm. we'd start over, you know. So with that being said, plus all the bits, it was a good five, six hours of shooting per day. And was that audience, were they just like kids who were at Disney World? Kids that came, obviously once the show took off, yeah, then they would come and visit and then they could come and be a part of the live audience, which was killer, man. I I'm mean, sure. that was probably one of the biggest thrills of doing the show was this live audience with these kids that became fans. And so now when the cameras are off, they're introducing you, you come into the studio and they're all going nuts for you, you know? Yeah. And you're like 13 and uh, memories of young girls with t-shirts on, you know, with your name on it or airbrushed yeah. or whatever they're coming to support and see. That was so cool, man. It was so great. I came across a segment on YouTube uh, a couple of days ago from the show where I guess Chase got a new sister, like yeah. a fan got to be his sister <laughs> yes. or something because yeah. he's an only child anyway. But her face when she meets him, I mean, she's clearly Starstruck. terrified, yeah. you know, of yeah. this Well, because it's boy. not only meeting your idol, but then you're on camera. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then here's a poor girl that's not a, you know, entertainer or yeah. what have you. And then yeah, and he's clearly perfectly comfortable with the whole Yeah. yeah. So uh, And that whole deal was, which is a great segue into this, what the writers started doing, and I'll give you examples of it, which was brilliant by them, was they were watching us offset and they would see our mannerisms or qualities or characters that we were doing. And then they started matching the bits Mm. to fit us. Obviously that's a no brainer. So chase being an only child, they said, Oh, this is brilliant. Well, let's find him a sibling. Yeah. And that's where that stemmed from. And then I was the guy who was, you know, I was like, Hey babe, how you doing? What's going on? How was that guy shooting the guns? And the writers go Vic slick. Like yeah. we're going to give him a talk show and he's real slick. I and he literally just watched the Vic slick. Yeah. Like before you got here with like Annette Funicello, it was their reunion, I yeah. guess yeah. the original cast is on there. It's so yeah. funny. And, and so what they did was they brought the originals in for a whole week and we did a reunion show with them, which was insane. How fun. Yeah. So then there was a lot of press and things going on surrounding that week, obviously. And me and Annette got to do interviews together, which was bananas. I mean, crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. American icon, American icon, Totally beautiful, cool, called me her paisan on an interview. I was like, what? This is surreal. That's awesome. So yeah, there was a lot of just amazing events that took place throughout the show. Like Mm. New Kids on the Block coming on, like Millie Vanilli, like so many artists that we were looking up to at the time. And then here they come on as guests, you know? Yeah. So we're kicking it with them. We're hanging out backstage, which was surreal. It was very cool. Artists like MC Hammer, who had just come out at the time, Mm -hmm. we were all about him. This is before Can't Touch This. This is like with Let's Get It Started. Let's Get It Started, baby, Turn This Mother Out, all that. So we're dancing at the time, obviously, and we see him on his videos dancing, and we're telling our, you know, the promotions and the PR people at the show, we're like, you've got to get this guy. Mm -hmm. And they start looking into it, and they're like, we just can't. He brings in 50 people with him. Mm -hmm. We want to, but he just has such a huge entourage. But anyway, Mm -hmm. he then turns out to be iconic. Yeah. So to be 13, to be watching him, to be mesmerized, and then to be able to at least just go to your team and, and the producers and stuff, can we get him? Yeah. And they're like, well, we'd like sort to. Sort of but, within reach. Yeah. And I can tell you some funny things kind of in the same regard with the group, you know, the party that it was kind of the same thing. We'd go to Peter Paterno and we like, we want to work with Dr. Dre. And he's like, oh, oh I used to, gosh. he was his lawyer. Right. Okay. So it was a phone call, picked it up and Dre goes, yeah, man, bring him in. Done. And now we're in there with him and Suge Knight. And we get to hear the chronic before it got released. Um, things like this. Yeah. It's like insane. But for us at the time, we're like, yeah, whatever. Disney hooked it up. <laughs> you know, yeah. They had endless well, and money. You couldn't have known at that time that the chronic was going to be so. I mean, I tell people that and they probably don't believe me. We heard G thing in the studio before it released. Now remember like going, this is the shit. And you're you know? probably like not old enough to buy it yet. No. So no. That's And I mean, we're drinking forties in the studio with Dre Snoop's running around. This is before Snoop blows up. Yeah. Nobody knows who Snoop is now, yeah. but he's kicking it in there. You know, uh, the DOC wrote a rap for us. This is before um, he's hurt. This is after he's after hurt. hurt. Okay. So Dre had him as like his ghostwriter. Yeah. So to give him love, he wrote a rap for us. So when we're trying to communicate with him what he's saying, because Dre raps it, so we're just hearing it on a cassette tape mm-hmm. and talking to the DOC, he's like, no, nah, man, you got to say it like this. But we're yeah. like, what are you talking <laughs> We couldn't understand him. <laughs> yeah. God bless Hollywood Records, man. They were very cool with ideas and people we wanted to work with. They set it up. So yeah. it's funny to think that like you guys came out 30 years after that original cast. That means it would be about right now. If they were to reboot the show again today, you know, you guys would be right. the 30 year later cast. Right. It's just crazy. Right. To me. It's wild. It's wild. Trust me. For me, it's like, dude, that was just yesterday. Yeah. You know, which is what's insane about the reunion. It is so monumental. It's a slap of reality. It's 
crazy emotions, it's memories, it's great, you know, it's sad. There's so many things tied yeah. into it that I, if people need to understand what will take place in Orlando is going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. We'll never do it again. Oh my gosh. Know? I wish I could be there. I do too, brother. Who all is going to be there? Do you know? Yes. So off the top of my head, Lindsay Alley, original, Jennifer yeah. McGill, original, Josh Ackerman, an original, Brandy Brown, an original, Chase Hampton, an original, uh, myself, an original. So you got a lot of the originals, the newbies, Rona Bennett, mm-hmm. who is now in, in Vogue, Dale, obviously who spearheaded this thing. He'll be there. Tony Luca, the list kind of goes on and on and on. I mean, I think we got a good 25 coming so far. It'll be awesome. So a couple more questions. Sure. One, so, you know, when I'm 9, 10, 11 years old, like I said, you three are, are like the biggest stars in the world in my mind. Y'all are the guys I wanted to be like. Y'all are right. the, you know, Who are those people for you? So 89, oh, 90, like who are you kind of idolizing yeah. at the time? You know, like a lot of us, for me, I started really performing and entertaining, emulating Michael Jackson. So second grade talent show, uh, I did Billie Jean yes. in a little tuxedo, got a standing ovation. And that was kind of the start of seeing the response of performing and then getting the itch mm-hmm. or the bug to keep going with this. So Michael was a huge icon for me. And I mean, and I auditioned for the MMC imitating him. And so when I was in LA, coincidentally doing the Ace Awards, Michael came to the set and got to meet all the other kids. And I was crushed. You didn't meet him. I was crushed, man, because uh-huh. I'm in LA performing at the Ace Awards. So Albert calls me up and goes, guess who I met today? I'm like, who? He's like, Michael Jackson. I'm like, no. what? He's like, yeah, I mean, he came to the set and we got backstage. I met. So anyway, so Michael was iconic for me, of course, like a lot of us. And then I loved John Bellucci at the time. I was mesmerized by his energy and his free spirit. And Robin Williams was another icon mm. for me that I just was so fascinated with his energy like what you commented about mine yeah, and tried to not emulate, but be similar as far as his quickness, his improv mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And got to meet him actually at a, you're like, kidding. at an award show that we performed on and he was backstage. So it's all relative man to the individual. You're looking up at me. I'm looking up at them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's wild. So did you live full time in Orlando or did you just go like seasonally? Yeah, we had to move. And because we were minors, my beautiful mom had to live out there with me. So the family was separated. My father mm. and beautiful sister stayed here in Houston while my mom was with me out there. Wow. Yeah. That's and crazy. we were all based in the same apartment complex. All the kids. So y'all are just around each other all the time. Constantly. If we weren't at school, we were working. If we weren't working, we were all hanging out together. And that's, that's where the bond of me, Albert and Chase became insane. And that chemistry started, you know, marinating. So that's real, not just on the show. It's, that's that's 100%. Still friends today. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I really wish we had some cameras on us behind stage and off camera. Yeah. We were way funnier, I think, and way crazier than what you guys got to see. I mean, if you were drinking 40s with Dr. Dre, I believe you. (laughs) Me and Albert, baby. Another thing was the first album that the party released, Summer Vacation, Uh the first single that was released by the group, were there at Delicious Vinyl, which for those that don't know, Delicious Vinyl is responsible for Tone Loke, Young MC. And those songs, if you remember, were out at that time. Yeah, they're huge. we're with Mike Ross for Delicious Vinyl. There was a refrigerator in the studio. It was so hood. So me and Albert still in the 40s out of the fridge while Mike's in the other room working the board and we did summer vacation, man. That's so, amazing. so, but you know, like the, here we go, here we go. That was yeah. us just playing around, you know, yeah. having fun. And he's, I'm making Albert laugh and he keeps it. Matt, Mike's like, yeah, that's awesome. You know? So <laughs> kind of wild now, years later to look back and go, who the shit's 14, 15 <laughs> drinking forties in a studio with delicious vinyl That's amazing. You know? or Dre for that matter. But yeah. So that leads me nicely into a little segment that we do on the show called Get Off My Lawn. So this is a segment where I want you now, 30 years later, to be able to look at kind of the young kids today and like, what are the things that kids do today that you're just like, I just, I don't get it. Let them, invite them to get off your lawn. How much time we got, daddy? Bring it on. Woo! So me and my wife talk about this constantly I try not to be the old guy, mm-hmm. right? I try not to be the old guy talking about, God dang, this music nowadays yeah. sounds like shit. But guess what? I'm the old guy that's saying that. I don't understand today's rap. It's sound effect. What are they saying? I don't know. There's no subject matter in the song. So all the youth today, I'm sorry, man. I just hate the new hip hop. Every now and then, one will come through that I gravitate to. But for the most part, I just can't stand it. And now I'm the old guy going, God, I hate today's music, yeah. right? I'm that guy. <laughs> Dana Carvey recently just said in his stand-up, his last stand-up, which was brilliant, this is the most photographed generation of human history. Seriously. 
You know, he goes, I have a picture that's a size of a stamp, one picture that's a black and white. That's what I have as a picture. And the youth of today has 5,000 pictures with their selfies and their phones. Oh, yeah. and it, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And the movement now in LA, from what I've heard, is that everybody now is in the bars and the clubs, man, with their phones up now, Instagramming and look at me and I'm in LA trying to yeah. become quote unquote famous. Yeah. It's the new autograph. I mean, yeah. nobody cares about autographs now. They want to get a selfie. You got to get the selfie. Yeah. 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 And so there was a football player that just commented about that. God, I wish I could remember the verbiage that he used, but there is now a title for those with their phones trying to get with celebs and take pictures to then put themselves on. And I forgot what the name of it was, but he used it recently. And I was like, wow. So this is a whole movement now for this generation yeah. where in my past, there wasn't such a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, as far as get off my lawn, man, I, look, I get it. And I know we all got phones, but it is exhausting. Yeah. It is just exhausting, man. And the famous, non-famous whole movement to me is completely ridiculous. Yeah. And hey, man, for me, I'm sorry. The Kardashians, I mean, if we're going to talk about get off my lawn, I just, you know, the non-talented, monotone, glassy-eyed thing, but yet these huge celebs, yeah. it blows my mind. So for me, when I was a kid or even in my 20s, it was like, got to have talent. You have to. You got to have talent. You got to have something that you're bringing to the table. And now- And you got to hustle. You got to hustle. And now it's irrelevant. You don't really have to have talent. All you need is your phone, uh, which is good and bad. You know, you got a lot of great talent now surfacing. That we Justin Bieber, man, yeah. you know, God bless YouTube. That kid is extremely talented and was founded right on the internet. Yeah. So there's some good, but there's a lot of bad to me. You yeah. Know? So I think that would be it, man. I'm sorry. Today's hip hop. I don't know. I don't know what the hell you're saying. And then the the self absorbedness that social media has brought on is just exhausting. Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn, man. So let's talk real quick. You mentioned Justin Bieber. Let's talk about the legacy that you guys, and this is one of those things that I don't know if people realize. I mean, you see a lot when people talk about Mickey Mouse Club, they always talk about Justin, Brittany, Christina. And it's mm -hmm. just like, yeah, that's true. But they didn't just, they weren't born out of a vacuum. You guys inspired that. And so without, in my mind, Chase and Tiffany and Damon and Albert and that whole original cast, we don't have Justin Timberlake. We don't have JC. We don't have NSYNC. Right. We don't have Christina and Brittany, which spawned a whole movement of little blonde teeny bopper girls in the 90s. Yeah. We don't have Bieber. We don't have things like High School Musical. All of these things are, are sort of, you mentioned Miley Cyrus. I mean, yeah. all of these things are part of your legacy. I mean, right on. <laughs> truly, you, that, they just wouldn't exist without the inspiration that you guys provided yeah. as Thank 13 you. and 14 year old kids. So the Mickey Mouse Club was a huge nucleus and you got to understand a great training camp for young kids because you had to be a uh, triple threat. So if you're constantly in that studio recording and dancing and choreography and doing your skits and stuff, you're sharpening your skills. So it was a no brainer of the careers that spawned yeah. from the show. Yeah. But Ryan yeah, Gosling. I, I didn't even mention Ryan him. Gosling, Carrie Russell. And I always compare it to kind of a Saturday night live for kids, mm -hmm. musical guests, skits, improv all that stuff. So just like SNL, there's a lot of careers that spawn from the MMC, yeah. like an SNL. So it was a no brainer. And I think you, through the years, you're still going to see careers continue to surface. And when you start tracing them back, it'll come back to the MMC. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know for a fact, we've got some extremely talented careers that haven't bubbled yet, you know? Yeah. So yeah, thank you very much for the respect. And again, we didn't have these careers to look up to or emulate when we had our shot. So it's kind of amazing what has come and what we inspired yeah. and the careers that we inspired and what's happened. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Well, I'm amazed too how many of the original cast are still in show business. I mean, oh, so many yeah. folks still performing and yeah. doing the thing. Yeah. And, you know, people kind of ask, and though a lot of projects may not see the light of day, me and Chase are constantly throwing ideas at each other. We've done pilots. We did a... A show for kids uh, called Riff Rocket. He produced it. He helped put that thing on. He brought me in as one of the characters. Unfortunately, it just didn't take off, but we're mm -hmm. constantly always in the concepts or always working on concepts and ideas because it's in our blood. And you go through your ups and downs and battles of fighting that business because it's so brutal. Mm -hmm. But when it's in your DNA, man, it's a lifelong career, you yeah. know? So 
That's we're, the best. We're, we're still in the grind, and I think we got some great potential for some ideas and projects to come from the reunion yeah. in Orlando. So the reunions May 18th through the 20th at what I guess it's Hollywood Studios now. Well, it'll be yeah. We're using all the parks. the The first night is a parade with Disney at Magic Kingdom. The second night will be at MegaCon with all phenomenal pop culture icons, and then that night will be at Epcot. At Epcot, okay. And then I think the next day they're doing a Soul Sunday, and I think that's at MGM Studios, if I'm not mistaken. So all three parks will be utilized for this reunion. That's amazing. Amazing. So if you are in Orlando or can get to Orlando, you got to do it. Do it on my behalf. I wish I could be there. Love I you, love, man. love the parks. Would love to be there for that. Yeah. Man, it would just be such a huge yeah, deal. Yeah, it's going to be pretty amazing. So MickeyMouseClubReunion.com is where it can be found or just Google MMC Reunion and Perfect. all info will come up for you guys if y'all are interested in coming. It'll be a once in a lifetime epic event, man. Nice. Yeah. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. Damon, thank you so much for thank coming you for on. Having me, You're man. always invited. So thank you, sir. Anytime. Right on. After talking with Damon about some of the Hollywood A-listers that got their start on the Mickey Mouse Club, I was able to track down and connect with one of the folks who helped mold their raw talent in those early days, acting coach Gary Spatz, to hear what it was like working with them before they were stars. Gary, welcome to 30 Pop. Thanks so much for being on today. My pleasure. So we are looking back this week at the debut of the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 30 years. It's crazy. I was nine years old at the time, but you were the acting coach for so many of these young actors. Yes, it was really a blessing for me. I have to say it's one of my favorite gigs I've ever had in this business is working with such a gifted ensemble of kids. I still think of them as kids, even though they're all grown up, but they were just an amazing group of individual talents that came together for that show. Many of whom are wildly successful now, especially as actors. So the one that jumps out most to me is Ryan Gosling, who I think is just one of the greatest actors out there. So I would just love to hear about kind of what your experience was working with Ryan specifically, but also with, you know, Justin and Brittany and Christina, all of the sort of big name folks who came out of that cast. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, there was so much talent there. Obviously, they're the names that people have heard of, but there's so many other wonderful talents that are out there working and have achieved the careers, but they have moved to that higher echelon that they are really pretty sensational. I mean, I had no expectation that Ryan or Justin would achieve what they did, but I knew if they stayed on the path, they would be successful because the talent was always there and they had that kind of commitment. Ryan certainly did as did Justin and Brittany and Christina and Carrie Russell, who's gone on to do the Americans also Mm -hmm. has turned herself into a, a world-class actress. And she was a dancer before that Ryan had done some acting. I met them all when they were probably just about 12 years old. I don't think they had really much experience before we started working together in the mouse club. And just like they took voice lessons every day, they would take acting classes every day with me and dance And that's, I think the last time they went about developing talent like that, like the old MGM studio days when they had Mickey Rooney and Liz Taylor under contract, and Mm -hmm. they would develop the talent to use in their various feature films. I think this is the last of that kind of contract players where as we were putting on the show, we were also developing the potential of all these kids. And Ryan certainly had it from the get go. He had this innate confidence that you rarely see in an adolescent boy. Because at that age, you tend to be a little insecure and hypercritical. And I mean, none of us ever want to look foolish in front of our peer group. Sure. But at that age, it's really, you're very vulnerable to the fact that you just don't want to look silly in front of kids your age. And Ryan, like Justin, like most of them, had no problem just going for it, fully committing as he does now to every role he takes. Yeah. It's just nice to see how he's managed his career, taking all these eclectic parts and just allowed himself to be a real artist when it comes to his acting. I mean, it's really been a pleasure to watch his evolution. But the talent was there from the start. I, it was obvious to me that he had a good deal of ability. You just don't know if they're going to stay on the path. That's the yeah. same with all of them. But I thought they might because every one of them, Justin and Christina, all the talents that we've talked about, all had a great passion 
to perform, to do what they do. They loved it. So I figured if they stayed on the path, they would just keep getting better and better at what they do, whether it be singing, dancing, acting, or all three with Justin, that they would excel and have a career. But I had no idea that they would blow up what they did, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. You mentioned the confidence that they had. I had Damon Pampolino on the show earlier today, and that was one of the things that I told him is like, when I was nine years old, you know, he's a 14-year-old when that show starts, and the thing that sort of drew me to him and to all of the guys on that show was this tremendous confidence they had. I was this, you know, very kind of quiet, shy kid, and I just couldn't believe how confident they were and how comfortable they were in their own skin, and that clearly just kind of was consistent throughout the cast over the years. Yeah, it was kind of a strange situation insofar as they not only obviously did music videos and sketches, but they also had to be hosts, and that's a skill set mm-hmm. unto itself. In other words, they had to create a persona that, hi, I'm Christina, I'm Damon, I'm Ryan, and also interview the guests that we would have on the show and feel comfortable enough in themselves, in their own skin, as you say, to be themselves and not just play a character in a sketch or what have you. And for some of them, it was easier than others, but mainly they had that innate confidence, certainly in their talent. That was evident from the beginning, but it had to be developed. I mean, they were still very raw and it was new to most of them as far as professional jobs Mm -hmm. are concerned. But they all had that work ethic. They all wanted to do it. They all loved performing. And Disney worked them from early in the morning to late and no complaints. And they all really just had a ball. I think all the kids really had a sensational time down there. I mean, they worked them very hard, but it was always a labor of love. That's the thing that I think it was communicated to the audience, which was important. If they're having fun, the audience is going to have fun watching them. Mm -hmm. So that was part of my responsibility is to make sure that it was a positive experience as they were learning that they were an ensemble. There were no stars, that they all got along and played well with one another, which is a big thing with me. It's kind of the cornerstone of my curriculum is creative play. And just that sense of play that you have the joy as you're performing. And they all seem to have that. They came into the mouse club with that sense of how much fun it would be to perform and they all seem to really get along with one another, which is also unusual because they're all from very different parts of the country, different yeah. stratas, different religious, cultural backgrounds. The one commonality was their talent and their desire to perform. So we hooked into that pretty early on. And it was kind of like their Juilliard, their college. That's why I think they were ready once the show ended for many of them to jump right into that professional career and start working really right away and jumping for some of them like Christine or Brittany jumping right out there and doing things because they were allowed to develop and we nurtured that talent while they were at the mouse club. And that I'm very proud of. I mean, for all of us who worked with them, it was great. And it's wonderful to see, like I say, their evolution as they've all gone on and had careers. Well, you clearly did an excellent job. Well, it's something I love to do. I mean, for me, it was a combination of like summer camp and, you know, your camp counselor as well as a teacher and a coach. And there's nothing a teacher wants more than an enthusiastic student. And if that enthusiastic student actually has ability, well, then you're blessed. And we had a couple dozen kids who just really showed up ready to play. And I couldn't have asked for anything better than that. Any particular like anecdotal stories that come to mind of just fun memories with any of those folks who've gone on to such crazy success? Oh, I just remember like Brittany would always be walking around with Christina. They were best buds singing all the time. So you would hear these kids singing all the time. And I would go and watch them rehearse their dance and musical numbers that were always just such fun. And they really enjoyed the various guests that came on the show whether it be Boys to Men or Brian McKnight, how much the kids just were enamored of the various professionals that would come there and visit the Mouse Club. I mean, everybody from Michael Jackson to George Lucas would stop by there, and they were always thrilled about that. With Ryan, I, can, I remember one time, I think it was the first time he had a lead in a sketch where it was really his show because the sketch was about a boy who was putting on his own like radio show from his basement. So he was really on his own. And it was the only time I can remember him being a little nervous because he never showed that he really had that kind of a cocky attitude that he has now, but well-deserved that, you know, pretty sure of himself. 
And I can remember saying, Ryan, you got this. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, you can, this is what you do. You know, you're putting on your own show and your mom's calling you from upstairs and she's just getting in the way of you doing your show. You're doing your thing. So, and that's sometimes all they need to hear. Their own natural instincts are there. All you want to do as a coach sometime is just say, yeah, do that. You got it. And not get in their way. I mean, that's the one thing I guess I'm most proud of is I don't know how much influence or impact I had on any of the kids, Ryan included, but I certainly didn't get in their way of their talent. And that makes me feel good because I wanted that experience to be a very positive experience for all the kids so they wouldn't look back on it years later and go, oh, geez, I can't believe I was part of that. I hope they all have very, very fond memories of it. I'm sure they do. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the show. It's such a treat to get to hear from you and just hear you know, some of these stories about these folks when they were kids. Yeah, yeah, when they were kids, exactly. Now they're grown up and a number of them have their own kids. So such is life. I appreciate the phone call and including me in your show. Of course. Hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime. Okay, you take care. You too. Okay, before we go any further, let me just say yes. I know how long this episode has already been. But stay with me, friends. We've still got two Mouseketeers to go. My next guest wasn't an original cast member of the show, but she was a fan favorite once she arrived a couple seasons in. The one and only, my Lynn Brooks Stoddard. My Lynn, welcome to 30 Pop. Thanks so much for being on with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're looking back 30 years at the debut of the all-new Mickey Mouse Club, a show for which I was a huge fan. You came on at season three, is that correct? Yeah. So they had the original cast. I think maybe there was one new cast member in season two. And then season three, we got several new folks. So how did that come about? So actually, prior to me making it, Chasen, mm-hmm. who's also from Oklahoma, we were friends. Actually, we were at one of the same acting studios in Oklahoma, and Chasen had made it and told the casting director, Matt Casella, that, hey, you know, there's still some more talent left in Oklahoma, so you need to do, you know, due diligence and get back there and do some auditioning. So the next year, Matt Casella came back, and I was fortunate to get an audition for him. Ended up auditioning, and I didn't hear back for a a while. I just thought, you know, they probably had forgotten, forgotten about me. I probably didn't make it. So I just blew it off. And then one night they actually ended up calling my mom answered. It was really late. And Matt Casella had said something to my mom that made her a little weirded out because she was like, who is this guy calling for my young daughter? I was 14 at the time. So she ended up hanging up on him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he called back because he was calling from California and calling back and saying, I'm sorry, you know, this is Matt Casella. I, auditioned your daughter for the Mickey Mouse Club and were very interested in having her do a screen test. So probably within a few months of that phone call, I ended up flying out to Florida and did a screen test. And some of the guys that were there who actually made it on the same time was Mark Warden and Alana Miller and Jason Miner and Ricky Luna. We all made it at that same time on season three. Do you remember what you did for your audition? What was the audition process like? I sang a song, and the song that I did was, I think it was I Miss You Like Crazy. I think it was Rocky's song that she had done previously, and Miss You Like mm. Crazy. And then um, I did a monologue. I can't remember what that was. And then I believe that I did some dancing. I mean, it was kind of like the same structure that they had on the show, and we did this in front of everybody, like all of the kids and their parents sat in the green room and they watched us while we taped on set. And I was so excited. It was like the first I'd worked prior to that and done some little shows here and there in Oklahoma and done a lot of modeling, but had never done anything at this level. So it was pretty thrilling for me. Did you find out at that screen test that you had made the show or how did they let you know? Well, <laughs> I actually got onto the plane when I was flying back to Oklahoma and I can't remember who I ran into um, and they weren't supposed to say anything, but they said something like, don't worry or, you know, something like to the fact that I got it. 
but it wasn't positive yet until I actually got to Oklahoma. And within the next day or two, they had called me and told me that I had made the show. That's so exciting. So you were on the show for three seasons, right? Yes, three, four, and five. Tell me what your experience was like. What do you remember about the show? Oh my gosh. It was, and I'm not exaggerating, but it was honestly some of the most exciting, fulfilling, fun times of my entire life. I mean, there's not another show that I believe that where all these kids, you know, this huge cast of kids got to get together and, you know, we became super close and we got to sing and we got to dance and we did music videos and we did comedy sketch work. And I mean, it was an experience in a lifetime. You know, I know that I won't ever experience something like that again, but just to be a part of this group of people, it's just an honor. And I'm so grateful to have had that experience at such a young age. Well, before we jump off, you know, I'm here to ask the hard-hitting questions. So I've got to know, any secret crushes among <laughs> cast members that we should know about? It's so funny that question always comes up. I'm sure it does. Well, of course, you know, because, I mean, your kids and your getting to the age where you're like, oh, you know, so-and-so's cute and da-da-da-da, right? So, yes, there were a lot of pushes. There were relationships. I was in a relationship, and some other people were in a relationship. So it was all, like, puppy love, first love type stuff. So are we protecting the names of the innocent then? <laughs> it's so long ago now. Like, it's so silly, you know? It's, like, 30 years later. I mean, you're going to have to rehash it at the reunion in a few weeks anyway. So you may as well <laughs> let people hear it here first. Oh, my gosh. Sure, yeah. So I dated Tony when I was on the show. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, you chose wisely. He's a talented guy. <laughs> and we're friends, and it's all, you know, cool and kosher, and it's kind of fun just to reflect back and be silly about all that stuff. I can only imagine. Well, I'm excited for you all to get to do the 30-year reunion at Disney World. I'm so bummed that I can't be there. Because oh, man, I me too. truly was such a fan of the show. So I hope it goes wonderfully. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of the show. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. Of course. Thanks so much, Mylan. We'll talk to you again sometime down the road. Cool. Take right. care. You too. This is it, friends. The final stretch. We've almost made it. When I started prepping for this episode back in January, the two people I most wanted to talk to, besides Tiffany Hale, obviously, were Damon Pampolina and Chasen Hampton. It took a while, but I was eventually able to get connected with Damon. I was having all kinds of trouble, though, trying to reach Chase. But thankfully, in the 11th hour after I'd all but given up, I got word that he was up for doing the interview. I was actually driving down the freeway when I got the call, so I pulled over and interviewed him right on the side of the road, and I'm so glad I did. So here it is. My interview with another childhood hero, Jason Hampton. Chase, thanks so much for being a part of 30 Pop. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, man. Man, such a joy to get to talk to you. So I was nine years old when the all-new Mickey Mouse Club debuted, and I was the biggest fan. So (laughs) such a treat to get to talk to you. Man, can you tell me about your experience with particularly landing your spot on the Mickey Mouse Club? How did that come about? It was a crazy chain of events, but... I was competing in Oklahoma and kind of the tri-state area, doing competitions. I'd go down into Texas and I'd go into Missouri. I would do competitions and singing and dancing. And because of that, I'd meet jugglers. I'd meet guys, especially being in the South. I'd meet guys who do roping competitions. I'd learn how to rope or I'd learn how to ride a unicycle, hanging around backstage with a bunch of talented people. So all of a sudden, my dad got this random call at his office saying, hey, you need to take your son down to this thing in Dallas that he had heard on the radio, promoting Disney Channel, you know, looking for a talent search kind of thing. It was just kind of the right time, the right moment for me. And um, I skipped school the next day, went down there and checked in around uh, one, one in the morning. This is kind of the cool part of the story is that at the same time I was checking in, at the other end of the lobby, the casting directors were walking in from like probably being at a late dinner and having a couple of drinks and having fun and being in Dallas and being away from home or whatever. And they were younger then, and I could hear them whispering, like, I wonder if that kid over there is for the call tomorrow. And so one of them yelled across the lobby and said, hey, are you here for the Mickey Mouse Club audition? And I said, yeah. And they go, hey, you want to audition right now? And I said, let's go. You know, and I had my boombox in one hand and my jams on. 
And, uh, you know, it was the 90s, you know, loud clothing and my hair all spiked up. And they laughed that I was just ready to go. And they're like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. We'll just kidding. We'll see you tomorrow. And then the next day happened and um, there's over a thousand people in line. I mean, it was just crazy cattle call. And I went in the room and I never came back out, really. My mom came looking for me about 45 minutes later, peeking her head in, going, hi, I'm just looking for my son. And uh, they said, we kidnapped him. He's here. What had happened is I went in and started, you know, of course, he remembered me right off the bat just because we Mm -hmm. had that interesting moment, which was really nice because it kind of made all the nerves kind of go away. Mm -hmm. I just had a great conversation and and I had all my things prepared. I was, you know, all the planets aligned, basically. And he goes, why don't you come around here to where I am and sit with me and we'll just call in the next couple of people. So they, they just started calling more people in and I was sitting with them as he was auditioning other people. And they sent me off to entertainment tonight interview while I was sitting there. And they were like, wow, it sounds like they really like you. And I was like, oh, they do? I don't know. And I got a telegram maybe a month later at my school, a telegram. You like that? Because there was no. Yeah, that's amazing. And that was like an exciting way to get called out of school. Like, ooh, we get a telegram at the office. And so uh, <laughs> I went and it said basically that I made it. And I uh, went to Hollywood to do one on camera test and got the role. But what it was, it was not the Mickey Mouse Club. It was, they were casting for the original Mickey Mouse Club. It was a movie called Why Because We Like You. Uh-huh. And it was about the original Mickey Mouse Club, not the new one. Basically looking for lookalikes. So they had cast a Bobby and Annette. And Tiffany was going to be Annette. Oh, wow. And Jennifer was there. I believe it was Doreen. I met a couple of the other ones that were, that were in that process with me. And I was going to be Lonnie. And it was just really fun. And, and I remember like Bette Midler coming in and watching us while we were rehearsing. It was just really surreal being from Oklahoma. I'm sure. And so then what happened is the writer's strike happened in 1988 there. It was a huge deal. And most people who were not in entertainment had no idea about it. But all the shows went into reruns, even like David Letterman and Johnny Carson. Like all these guys went into reruns. All the writers were on strike. And so because of that, the movie got scrapped. And at the same time, in Florida, not really affected by the California laws and unions, was building the Studios Park. That was Eisner's vision, was to kind of rival uh, Universal Studios and have the same kind of deal, have a, a studio, the working studios. So they needed someone that was full-time on a set, you know, on the lot. So not only were we starting the show for the Disney Channel, but we were there for the tour as well. They told the same casting director, we need to cast for the Mickey Mouse Club. And they, he just immediately took a bunch of our pictures off a bulletin board and stuck them on the other bulletin board and said, all right, there's your first couple right now. You know, we got them. Let's, let's just keep cranking them out. So they went back on tour and found more kids. And before you know it, we were off and running. But that the tour wild. thing was incredible. You know, there was that, those people always watching you at all times. It was a very wild way to grow up because <laughs> you could be on set alone. But you were never alone. If you looked up and saw through the tinted glass, you'd see there was a couple hundred people up there staring at you at all times, even when the lights were off or, you know, you'd be in the recording studio, they'd be walking by. Everywhere had a wall that had uh, like a see-through wall. So it was very interesting. And so did your whole family relocate to Florida? Yeah, like so many did. That's just what it was. You know, it was like, do you want this opportunity or or this is just what it is? My parents were very supportive that way. They were already driving me around to crazy competitions and having fun with that. But yeah, my dad stayed behind for a long time and uh, mom came with me. And a lot of the families did that and they'd switch. You know, the fathers would come out for a bit of time and then the moms would come out for a bit of time, depending on who worked and who didn't. Mm-hmm. And then my mom ended up transferring jobs. She was a librarian at an elementary school in Oklahoma. And they found an opening in Florida. So she was like, you know what? Might as well be working while I'm sitting here. Otherwise, I'm just sitting backstage just watching the screen. So she started teaching. And then my dad came out and relocated and transferred his job. And uh, they never came back. They stayed in Florida. <laughs> okay, so you did, what, like three seasons of the show before the party really became a thing. Is that correct? Yeah. Season three, we were still kind of in season four. We were still contracted. We were still under contract. So that's why you'd see us pop in on the show in season four and some of the other seasons. Or you'd see like in between the shows, you'd see us come on. You'd maybe see us on the bus or Mm -hmm. reading fan mail or, um, hey, let's check in on the party. or Where's the party at this week? That's why there was a lot of that going on because we were still, you know, a part of the show in that sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we left uh, to do that with Hollywood Records. Hollywood Records just started up. We were the first band on Hollywood Records, and then they had actually started the label by buying the catalog to Queen, oh, wow. sitting on that already. And that was when Freddie was still alive and pre-Wayne's World. So that was a really cool move because yeah. once Wayne's World hit, that really took off. And then, of course, when he passed away, it, uh, it even took off again. But it was, you know, it was an interesting ride. Uh, Hollywood Records was still figuring themselves out business-wise and getting their team together. But we were kind of their first pop act. I also know that you 
toured at one point. You guys toured with Vanilla Ice. Is that right? It is. What was the Vanilla Ice experience? I mean, because that had to be like prime time. I mean, you know, right in the middle of his major, major success. That happened more out of accident or more out of just kind of good faith. He sampled the Queen song, Control. So who owns that? Queen. Who owns Queen? Hollywood Records. So it was a great way to kind of get introduced into Vanilla Ice's camp and kind of, you know, hey, you know, what can we do? How can we work this out? You know, they wanted to use the sample. Everybody has their wants. Everybody walked away happy. Well, so at some point you and Tiffany went back to the show, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Season seven. Yeah. So you were there when all of the folks who've gone on to major, major stardom. So Justin and JC and Ryan Gosling. Brittany, Christina, when all of them were just little kids. I'm curious to know, what was it like to see those folks, you know, when they were just raw potential? It was awesome. And many people were like, why are you coming back? But it was a whole new thing uh, once we came back. It was a well-oiled machine. You know, when we started, it was not what it ended up being. What it ended up being was this really slick machine. They really had it down. You know, it was a new set, new talent. They were singing live on the show by that time. And to come back as a host was kind of an honor for me. And that was very cool to be like a member and then kind of graduate to where they trusted Tiffany and I to do that. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, as far as hanging out with those kids, they were, they were like babies. <laughs> they were, they were yeah. good, you know, and they, but they were oozing talent. I mean, Christina had that voice on her yeah. back then. And you knew that any one of them at any time could pop off. If they were in the right place at the right time, again, they already had the skills. They were ready to go. Yeah. well-trained and all of us being together you know you can't slack you know if somebody is like a little slow in the dance moves or if somebody's a little slow in the harmonies we instantly were like helping each other getting everybody back on track and that's what's kind of cool is we made each other better at all times you would think it'd be a really highly competitive environment but in reality you know it's like if you go golfing with somebody who's a really good golfer, all of a sudden your game's better. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of magically happens. If you go golfing with somebody who's good, all of a sudden you're hitting straight. It was very much like that. You know, The team was hmm. so talented that you're singing better, you're dancing better, you're, you're memorizing your lines faster. Your comic timing is better. It's really great. That is awesome, especially as somebody who just grew up loving it. You know, you mentioned that you guys had started singing live. I was watching some clips the last week or so, and I thought it was really funny to come across a clip of you and I guess it's you and Alfred and Dee Dee singing Blame It on the Rain. And I just thought it was so ironic that you guys actually, one, that you lip synced to Millie Vanilli, but also that it was actually your voice that you were lip syncing to. I thought that was, you know, <laughs> just some kind of fun irony. Yeah, those guys were a trip when they were on the show. That's for sure. <laughs> really funny story real quick is that they uh, they actually had their mics on <laughs> during, our, uh, during our show. I know, I know uh-huh. what you were talking about. You were talking about when we actually sang Blame Right, Vanilli. right. But Millie Vanilli came on the show as a guest and did, you know, a couple of songs. And the director actually had the mic on during the performance. So we could all be backstage and hear what they really sounded like. So they didn't know that the mics were on. They were just lip syncing. But you know how you're singing when you're lip syncing. Yeah. And so we were all back there trying to figure it out because it was before anybody really knew. But yeah, the controversy was alive and well back then, that's for sure. I'm sure a lot clicked when that when that came out like okay that explains it and man before i let you go i just want to say thank you for all the years and all your kind words mean a lot and i really appreciate you supporting us and supporting mmc30 and and just the fact that it is 30 years later and then you have those great memories is, is everything so i appreciate that oh man thank you i mean truly you guys were my heroes growing up and so it's such an honor to get to talk to you, you and damon especially were just like the two guys i most wanted to be but thank you so much for your time i look forward to hopefully catching up with you again down the way excellent man god bless bill i appreciate it thanks chase see you all right talk to you soon Oh man, that was so fun for me. Huge thanks to Damon, Gary, Mylin, Chase, and honestly the whole Mickey Mouse Club cast and crew for all the fun they provided me as a kid. It was such a joy to talk to them. Believe it or not, we actually talked quite a bit more than what I included in this episode. They share stories about crossing paths with Easy e and NWA, touring with Vanilla Ice, and life after the Mickey Mouse Club. You can hear my full interviews with them by partnering with me at the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode. For as little as $1 a month, you can access tons of bonus content, deleted scenes, unreleased episodes, and more from this show and all the other shows I produce for my network, Milieu Media Group. A couple quick reminders before I close out. 
First, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review for 30 Pop on Apple Podcasts for a chance to win tickets to An Evening with John Cusack on June 16th at Jones Hall in Houston. To win the tickets, you also need to follow at 30 Pop Podcast and at SPA Houston on Instagram. I'll announce the winner in two weeks on the May 13th episode of the show. Also, if you haven't already, remember to register for Houston Comic Palooza, May 10th through the 12th, 2019. We'll be recording a live episode of 30 Pop on Friday the 10th at 2 p.m., looking back 30 years at the release of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's going to be a blast. Thank you so much for listening, friends, and for sharing the word about this show. We'll be back next week with episode 12. But now it's time to say goodbye to all my company. T-H-I, I'll see you real soon. R-T-Y, why? Because I like you. P O. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>